Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. That's why we're here, the hard-hitting questions right there. Hey, we are in a new series, and uh, you heard the very first hard-hitting question, what does God's hair look like? In fact, I think we know the answer to that. In fact, we got a picture from ancient manuscripts, and so I want to show you right here, this is what God's hair looks like, (laughs) right there. Problem solved right there. (laughs) We are in a brand new series called Q&A. And the truth is that there were far more questions presented than we will be able to cover over the next four weeks. But we're going to do our best. We're going to cover today one question or one genre of questions. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to cover three, four, five, six questions at a time over the next three weeks. And so here's the groundwork, here is the foundation of how we're going to cover these questions. If a question was asked and the Bible deals with it, addresses it directly, we're going to say this is directly from the Bible and give you those passages and deal with it directly from Scripture. If the Bible deals with it in principle, which there's a lot of things the Bible deals with in principle, we're going to say this is the principle in which the Bible addresses this question. If it's just simply something the Bible doesn't necessarily address, I'll give you my opinion, and you can disagree if you want, if you want to be wrong. So that's the groundwork over the next three or four weeks. So we're going to jump right in, and really, one of the toughest questions that often comes out is the whole idea of why do bad things happen, what's up with suffering. That's one of the toughest questions that always comes out particularly in Western culture. So I want us to pray right quick, and then we're going to jump in and deal with this topic today. Father, lead us and guide us and direct us, because we want to be men and women of your truth. And Father, I pray that it would be less about our paradigm and our history and our ideas, and more about what the Scripture addresses these issues as. And we pray these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, and together we said, Amen. Amen. It's a good day, right? In fact, will you guys say that with me? Say, today is a good day. Today Today sounds like a fairly good day. Are you ready to guys say it again? Come on, say it with me. Today is a good day. Sounds awesome. There's a story of a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was head of the church in Smyrna, and the man who had discipled Polycarp was the apostle John himself. In fact, John had told him that he said, don't be surprised at the things that you're going to suffer through. And now 50 years later, Polycarp has led the church in Smyrna through the massive persecution that had happened to the church. And now what had happened is Roman bounty hunters have come into Polycarp's home. And instead of fleeing from them, he feeds them a meal. And maybe that's why they granted him his last request. And his last request was that he could pray for one hour. He prayed so powerfully and so long that he ends up after two hours, they finally stop him from praying. And many of the men, many of the guards and bounty hunters who heard him pray, repented of their sins and became a believer in Christ. Wow. 
but they didn't relent from their mission. They bring him back, usher him into the Colosseum as the bloodthirsty crowd is, is chanting, release the beast. The proconsul gives him a moment to recant Christ and to claim the brilliance of Caesar and to deny Christ. But Polycarp says, I have served Christ for 80 and six years and he has never done me any harm. How could I ever deny someone so faithful as he? The crowd chants release the beast, but instead the proconsul Alexis elects to have him burned at the stake. And as the guards grab his wrist to tie him to the stake, he says, there's no need for your ropes or your nails, that the same God who will see me through this will give me the strength to stay here without, your, without restraints. And as they light the pyre on fire, they, 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 it begins to engulf around him. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Colosseum, he doesn't burn up. And instead of him burning, that the smell of incense fills the room. And he hears the sound above the crowd, Polycarp, play the man. And as he's not consumed, history tells us that they bring a spear and they run him through and he dies on the spear simply for having faith in Christ and refusing to deny him. But let's bring this just a little bit closer to home. What about what happened just a few weeks ago or a few months ago as 59 people were killed and around 500 injured as they attended an open-air concert on October 1st of 2017? People never knew what was coming. They were just simply there to enjoy music, only to be a part of the worst mass shooting in American history. Or what about last week as someone was upset about how many views their video was getting and they walk into the office headquarters at YouTube and shoot multiple people before turning the gun on themselves. And all of these tragic events are on top of the everyday pain that people are suffering and being experienced in our individual lives. There's illness and abuse and broken relationships and betrayal and sorrow and injuries and disappointment and heartache and crime. And the question comes, why? Why me? Why now? Why, why that? The question comes, why? And the question why goes back thousands of years to the Old Testament with Job asking God why. And the author of Psalms, the writers of Psalms, they're saying why. And that question was relevant thousands of years ago. And the truth is it's relevant today in the 20th century. We experienced two world wars. We experienced the Holocaust, the genocides in the Soviet Union and China, devastating famines in Africa, the killing fields of Cambodia. We experienced the emergence of AIDS, the genocide in Rwanda. And then in the 21st century, it started off with the World Trade Center bombings and the Syrian slaughters. Why? A few years ago, a prominent author commissioned a study to ask Americans, if you could ask one thing of God, what would the one question be? In America, the number one, overwhelmingly, the number one response was this. Why is there suffering in the world? 
Now, just a moment, an interesting statistical quirk here is that people who were married were far more likely to ask why there was suffering than people who were single. Think about that just for a moment. For some of you, that will sink in in just a bit. But other religious leaders have written off pain and suffering as just illusions, but Jesus was honest with us. He told us the truth. In fact, in John 16, it says this, you will have suffering in this world. Wow, he didn't say that you might. He didn't say that you could. He didn't even say, Matt, there's an outside shot, 50-50, that you're gonna have suffering or no suffering. He said, guys, I don't care who you are. Listen to me, you're gonna have suffering. And so he was really honest with what was going to happen. He said it will, but why? Why did God allow Polycarp to be martyred? Why did he allow the gunman to spray the crowd of a concert, and why do we see some of the tragedies happening every day? In the wise words of Lee Strobel, I don't know. That I can't pretend to stand in the shoes of God and give a complete answer to that question. In fact, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 addresses it this way. It says, for now, we see a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face. Right now I know in part, but then I will know fully even as I'm fully known. And so we don't get the full answer on this side of eternity. And someday that we'll have clarity, but, in, but for now it's going to be a bit foggy. And the truth is, frankly, the people suffering from the Las Vegas tragedy, those suffering from other moments don't necessarily need a gigantic theological answer because it might seem trite and inadequate in the moment. But what they need is to desperately sense the real and comforting presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. About a year and a half ago, close to two years ago, a friend of mine had a son who was a senior in high school who ended up taking his own life. And he was heartbroken. Imagine as a father, your 18-year-old, and I didn't know what, quite what to say. I wanted to call, but I didn't. I wanted to email, but I didn't. I wanted to even Facebook message him, and I never did. And finally, time passes, and it would just be too awkward to respond. A few months later, my father passed of cancer. Within a week, he emails me and said, Hey, I just want you to know I saw that your father passed. I want you to know that I know you guys were close and I'm praying for you and I feel your loss with you. I didn't need some theological answer. I just needed a friend in that moment. And in the same thing, I thought, man, I learned so much from his kind responses that he didn't need for me to give him the perfect answer. He needed for me to be there for him. And we began to dialogue on what had happened months before and really renewed our friendship. And so in the same way that when sometimes we don't need a gigantic overall, you know, full answer, but sometimes we do. And today what we're going to endeavor to do is focus on the overarching issue of why God generally allows suffering in his, in our lives, in your life, in my life, in our life, why God generally allows suffering. 
And though, even though we can't understand everything, and there's, again, there's some things that are going to be foggy, some things unclear, some things we won't know. Though we can't know everything, we can know some things. And so that's what we're going to deal with today. And let me give you an example of what I hope is the ability for us to see some things. A few months ago, I ran a relay race that was a 24-hour race, eight of us running, ultimately 150 miles combined, and I ran one leg of that. And my leg was at 1 a.m. So as you're running through the mountains of Snowmass, Colorado, that you can literally not see most everything, you can just simply see the small LED lights that they have every 50 yards along the trail. And so that you can't see the grandeur of the mountains, you can't see the beauty of the trees, you can't see the majesty of the cliffs and peaks, you can't see all of that. You can, if you follow the small little LED lights, it will get you to the end of the race and where you need to go. Does that make sense? And so today, we may not be able to understand all the peripheral details of why God does and does not and what he allows and does not allow. We may not be able to understand all of those things, but we can understand enough that if we'll follow those points of light, it will get us to the end of our journey and it will satisfy us along the way. And so for us, we're not going to be able to illuminate everything, but we can get to the end and understand God's process along the way and hopefully it can satisfy our hearts and our souls. So if you're taking notes today, five points of light that we want to help answer the question of why. Why does God allow suffering? The first thing we need to understand is this, is that God isn't the creator of evil and suffering. It's asked, why didn't God merely create a world where there wasn't tragedy, where there wasn't suffering? Why didn't God create a world that was free of that? And the answer to that is that he did. In fact, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was good. In fact, it says that it was very good. Then where did it come from? You see, God has existed for all eternity in the, in the form of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, existing in perfect love and in unity one with another. And so the highest value in the universe is love. And when God, God created human beings, he wanted us to experience love. But to give us the ability to love, God had to give us the ability to decide whether to love or not because love always involves choice. That if I were simply programmed to tell my wife I love you, is that real love or is that something programmed in me that I'm forced to do? When my daughters were growing up, one of them had a doll that she would pull the string on the back and it would say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Right? Did that doll really love her? No, because it was programmed to say that. For that to love her or for anyone to love, that always involves choice. So for us to experience love, God bestowed upon us the will, the, uh, the ability to choose free will. And humans have abused that free will by choosing to reject God and walking away from him. And that resulted in two types of evil entering the world, a moral evil and a natural evil. And so I want to take just a moment and talk about those. Evil number one is the moral evil. Moral evil is the immorality 
and pain and suffering and tragedy that come because we as humans choose to be selfish or arrogant or negligent or hateful or abusive. In fact, God says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's so much suffering in the world that's a result of our sinful action. When I say ours, mankind's sinful action or our inaction. In fact, that people can look at famine and they can wonder, where is God? I mean, have you ever wondered that? Maybe if you're a little older and you saw some of the, the, the commercials of the 80s and uh, with the famine of Africa, and you're like, where is God in all of this? And then you see in a country as developed as America that there are people that are going hungry every day, and you're thinking, where is God? But did you know that the world produces enough food for every person on the planet to have 3,000 calories a day. And it's our own irresponsibility, our self-centeredness that prevents people from getting the food. And that in our lives that we can hold a gun and shoot or we can hold food and feed, it's a choice that God has laid out for us to be able to do. And so it's unfair to shoot someone and then blame God for the existence of evil when it was a choice that we have, a choice to bless or a choice to curse. It's unfair for us to say, okay, hey, there's tragedy when there is corruption that has prevented that from allowing to be solved. Where is God? God provided the means. It's our own decisions that have brought moral evil into the world that caused some of that suffering. So there's moral evil, but there's also natural evil. This would be things like wildfires, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes that cause suffering. And these two are an indirect result of sin being allowed into the world. Here's how one author explained it. It says, when we humans told God to shove off, he partially honored, honored our request. And nature began to revolt and the earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became a part of the human experience. And then here's what we need to understand is the Bible says that sin, that nature was corrupted and out of that thorn and thistle became a part of the landscape. Now I know what I can blame Adam and Eve for when it's spring cleaning and I've got to clean the weeds out of my landscaping, right? Is that this is part of natural evil. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 22, that we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. In other words, here's what it's saying. It's saying that nature longs for redemption to come and to set things right. So God did not create evil and suffering, but he did allow for the potential of evil and suffering to enter into the world. Because that is the only way that genuine potential for goodness and love to be experienced. So the question naturally that comes next is, couldn't have God foreseen this 
absolutely, God could have foreseen it this way, but I want, want you to look at it this way. That before I had children, or maybe before you had children, that you thought, you know what, this child could be awesome, or this child could bring me heartache and pain and, and disappointment, and this child could even walk away, and I could have zero relationship. But we chose to still have kids. Why? Because we knew there was potential for great and tremendous joy and love to ex- be experienced and to have great meaning in that relationship. And so God knew that we would rebel against him or part of mankind would, but he also knew that many people would choose to follow him and to have a relationship with him and to spend eternity with him in heaven. And for that, it was worth it, even for his son to suffer and to die on the cross for us to experience the love and redemption of God. So first, God did not create evil and suffering. Second, a point of light that we need that would hopefully help satisfy our souls and our hearts is this, is that suffering isn't good, but God can use it for good. God can bring good out of it. So here's the deal, is that we all often hear, hey, you know what, that's just part of God's plan. Hey, this is just part of, it's not, everything that happens is not part of God's plan. You think that some of the human trafficking, any of the human trafficking that's happened now or throughout history was ever part of God's plan? No. So not everything that happens to us is good. And maybe in this room in a crowd this size, there are going to be things that have happened in your life that are significant issues and moments that that wasn't God's plan for your life. And so when we say, oh, everything happens for a reason, That's a bit of a twist on a scriptural truth. The Bible says it this way, that we know that in all things, God works for good, works for the good of those who love and who've been called according to his purpose. So in other words, not everything is good, but he can bring good out of the evil that has happened in your life. The God doesn't cause it, but he promises the good to emerge. Now in the Old Testament, it gives us a great story of a guy by the name of Joseph who went through suffering, terrible suffering. In fact, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, something incredibly disgusting in our nation's history, something that's disgusting that's happened throughout history. But imagine the sorrow and the hurt by having your own brothers sell you into slavery. And then he finds favor serving in a man's home, and he's falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown in prison and forgotten about for a decade And after a decade, through this miraculous moment, he's elevated to a powerful position of second in control of a country in which he is able to save the lives of his family and of all of his people. So though what happened to him wasn't good on multiple levels and multiple moments, God brought good out of it. And in the moment that he stands in front of his brothers, that he has the power to crush or the power to bless. I want you to listen to the words that he spoke to them. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, they've now discovered who Joseph was. They didn't know the first few times they saw him, and now they're fearful. They're like, he's like, hey, I'm Joseph, and they're like, Joseph. They're nervous, and he comes close to him, and they're like cowering down. And he says this, that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
that if you're committed to God, he promises that he can and that he will bring about good from the suffering you're going through today. Now, that can feel awfully trite if we're thinking in terms of just now. But I want you to know that you've never experienced too much. You've never had too much happen that you can't encounter a reverse of fortune, so to speak, where God brings the good out of the tragedy. There's a case for faith. I love what it says. It says that God took the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the death of God on the cross, the Friday before Easter Sunday. He took the worst thing ever, the death of God on the cross, and he turned it into the very best thing that has happened in the history of the universe, the opening up of heaven for all to follow him. So this tragic moment where the son of God who was born of a virgin, who grew up and was, lived a sinless life, who was going to be the redemption for mankind, he died on the cross, the worst moment in human history, to become the most victorious moment in human history with the resurrection and opening up heaven for us to follow him. What a powerful moment. And if God can take the very worst circumstances imaginable and turn it into the best possible situation, God can make good from your suffering as well. Amen? God can use our suffering to draw us near to him and to mold and to sharpen our character in his image. And number three, I want to tell you this today. One another point of light is number three, is that there will come a moment where suffering will cease and God will judge justly. So the natural question is, if God had the ability to eradicate evil and suffering, then why doesn't he just do it? And let me just say this, God hasn't done it yet. But because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean that he won't do it. It's just like we can't read a book halfway through and then close it up and say, man, that had a ton of loose endings. That's a lot of details they didn't finish covering, right? Man, that book stunk because, you know, they didn't wrap it up in a bow and have the happy ending there. The truth is, the Bible says this, is that, that there's a, the world isn't over yet. That the world still has some things to play out. And that there will come a moment where sickness and pain will be eliminated. There will come a day where suffering and sorrow is gone. There will come a day when there will be no more tears. There will come a day where disease is gone. There will come a day where everything, where, the sorrow, where there's peace. And that only in the presence of God. There will come a day when that's happened. There will come a day when we will be held accountable. Every person will be held accountable for the evil that they've committed unrepentant of. Justice will be served in a perfect way. Just not yet. So what's the holdup? If God had the ability to and he hasn't done it, but he's going to do it, then what's the holdup and why is it not being done? And the answer is it might just be some of you in this room today or those listening online as well. 
that God may be actually delaying the consummation of history and anticipation that some of you will still put your faith in Jesus Christ and follow him and spend eternity within, in heaven. And he's delaying it out of his love for you. Because if he were to do it now, some within the sound of my voice, that they would experience that judgment now instead of eternity with him. And he's delaying that out of a love for you. It's evidence of a loving God. It says this in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in that sense, and in that frame of mind, there are times that we need to say, thank you, God, that you waited. Do you see how that turns when we're looking in light of eternity? God, why didn't you judge them? Wham! I know you felt, some of you felt that. God's waiting, desiring people to turn to him. But also we need to understand that our suffering pales in comparison to what God has in store for his followers. Look, I don't want to minimize suffering. I don't want to minimize pain. And instead, I want us to take this long-term perspective of what's happening in our life. Paul says this, and I want you to follow with me closely because this is really important. Paul says this. For our light and momentary troubles. You capture what Paul said? Paul says light and momentary troubles. I want us to pause because five different times we know in Scripture that Paul's back was shredded as he was flogged with 39 lashes from a whip. Three times he was beaten to a bloody pulp by rods. He was imprisoned, shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was hungry, he was rejected, and yet he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So he's saying, sure, you're going through some hard time, legitimately hard times. He's admitting that, he's experienced that. He says, but the truth is, in light of our momentary troubles, for our light and momentary they're achieving for us, as we stay faithful to the Lord, a glory that outweighs them all. That we tend to think of our existence in regards to right here, that this is the span of our life. But you take a rope that we've talked about this before and you wrap it around this room. You go down Ferndale. You go out to Northwest Highway down to 635. You go up to 75 North and you go all the way to Canada. And that's just the beginning of our existence. Though this part is the moment that we're on earth, the rest of it goes on forever. And we think about this one six-month period right here and we're saying, why are you a bad God? And yet there will be this whole eternity in heaven with him where there's none of that. And he's saying that one moment in time is nil compared to the glory of being with God. We think right here on this one freckle on our fist when God is saying there is an existence way beyond your moment on earth. Why is there suffering? There's suffering that I can't quite answer, but I want you to know that God and the whole balance of how things go, that we win on the other side. Does that make sense today? 
that we think right now, right now, right now, right now, right, I don't have enough money right now. I don't, I'm feeling sick right now. I'm feeling a little discouraged right now. And God's saying, hey, our light and momentary troubles will be far outweighed in glory. Paul wrote this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth even comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So let me give you guys just a momentary example. Let's just say on the first day of of January 1, first day of 2018, you wrecked your car, you had to have a root canal, a painful root canal, you lost your job, and your dog died. That is a bad day, just a bad day and a bad way to start the year, right? Am I right? How many of you think any of those things are good? No. But let's just say the rest of the year was amazing. Let's just say that you ended up meeting the guy or girl of your dreams, and you got married. Or if you're married, that suddenly marriage was happy 24-7. We can dream, right? That you didn't win the lottery because we don't gamble, we don't play the lottery, but your neighbor won the lottery and they gave you $100 million. And then you got your dream job and you decided that you were going to take a six-month sabbatical with a full-time vacation in Tahiti. Amen. That's a good day. And then at the end of the year, Brendan, I ask you, how was 2018? And you go, man, it was amazing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't you have a root canal? Didn't you lose your job? Didn't you crash your car? Didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was just one day. The rest of the days were amazing. That was awesome. Then, hey, that's a pretty good balance there of how things worked out. And and that maybe that's a good analogy for us in heaven. The reality, there's going to be some pain in this world. But it's not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so you guys know, and I've talked about it before, but it's, it's a very real moment for me, is that in November of 2016, my father passed after an eight-month battle of cancer. His second bout was the first one he kicked, second one he didn't. And so there was this, why is this good man, this godly man, who could basically quote the entire Bible to you, not even joking, not hyperbole, that he could basically quote the entire Bible to you, why is this good man that I've never even heard him say one cuss word, I've never heard him get angry that he's this incredible dude, why is he suffering with cancer? Then my mom is now battling debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. How can this be from God? How can this be good? But I bet, I bet, if we were to ask my mom in a thousand years, hey, how's your existence been? She's had two knees replaced. She's had a hip replaced. I'm giving you like this whole story so you see the suffering and that the hip was defective, the replacement was defective. The metal broke off and it began to rot away the bones and the muscle. And so literally now, their hip is held together with two steel industry-powered clothesline pins is the gist of it, the best illustration. She says, I have to keep walking and keep moving, or if I stop, I'll stop forever. 
So what about one day when we're in heaven, we're in the presence of the Lord, and we go, hey, Mom, how are things? Man, they're incredible. This is amazing. But whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't you lose your husband to cancer? And don't you have both knees replaced on earth? And didn't you have a bad hip? And didn't you have arthritis that turned your hands and your fingers and it turned your What Didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that, and that wasn't fun. But when you compare all of this to that little moment of my life, when you compare all of this for all eternity, man, I, I would have to say this has been amazing. And so sometimes we think right here with this one moment, but when we compare it to all eternity, that ultimately we have to say, man, this is light and, and, and small and, and, and pales in comparison to all eternity. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love the pain and suffering we experience will pale in comparison to the glory of being in the presence of God. And number five, we have to know first that we're going to face pain and suffering. God said that's just what's going to happen. Jesus said there's going to be suffering. And number five is this, we decide whether we turn bitter or whether we turn to God. We've all seen examples of suffering, right? You've seen someone who has experienced suffering, and one person will turn bitter and blame God and question God and turn bitter in life, and they are angry, and that same pain will cause another person to turn to God. And they become more gentle and more peaceful and more loving and more compassionate to others and more empathetic to others' moments of struggle. You've seen that, the same tragedy to turn one to God and will turn one away from God. But the Bible principle says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his name. So we make the choice to either run away from God or run to him. But what happens if we run to him? We started this day with part of the passage from Matthew 6, I mean, sorry, John 6, 16, 33. And now I want to give you the entire verse. So for just a moment, let's take time and read this verse. And here's what it says in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. If you have your notes, circle that. If you have your Bibles open, circle that word, peace. He says, I've told you these things so that you'll have peace, that you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, for I have conquered the world. In fact, I want you to underline or circle two words in your notes. First of all, I want you to underline peace, and I want you to underline courageous I'm going to read it one more time because there's a point I want to make. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. You'll have suffering in this world, but be courageous because I have conquered the world. Here's the point that I want to make. He says this, the two very things that you're going to need when you're hurting, God gives you. He gives you peace to deal with what's currently going on in your life, and he gives you courage to deal with what's going to happen in your life in the future. 
So he says the two things you need in your moments of questions, your moments of struggle, the two things you need, God is giving to you peace and courage. How? Because he has conquered the world. The Bible shows us that uh, at Easter that he conquered the grave and he rose again and that because of that it brings all kinds of validity to the claims of Christianity. That without the resurrection, man, there's no hope. But with the resurrection, take courage. I have overcome the world. I want to tell you this as we close. God provided in the past for our moments of need and he'll provide in our future. Through his own suffering and death on the cross, he deprived the world of its ultimate power over you. Capture this today. Suffering doesn't have the last word in your life anymore. Death doesn't have the last word in your life anymore. God has the last word because of the resurrection, amen? That we may not understand why, but we can have peace and courage because ultimately it doesn't have the last word in our life ever again. The ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation, it's the incarnation. The ultimate answer to suffering is not about here is the why it's happening, it's the incarnation of Jesus because suffering is an incredibly personal thing and it demands a personal response. And God sent his son Jesus to walk the earth among us, to model life for us and die on the cross in place of us. And God isn't this distant deity who's disinterested in our lives. He's a God who's so very close to us that personally experienced our pain. The Bible says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Yet he was tempted in every way just as we were, yet without sin. God understands. And instead of just giving this concise, trite explanation. He sent the incarnation of Christ, God in the flesh, to bring about resolution in our hearts. And this promise is to those who follow Christ. In 1 John 5, 13, I love this verse. It says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. And so we realize this moment of our existence, yes, that suffering, yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's not good. But if we look at the long term of our existence here on earth and beyond, we realize we have hope. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So today, God doesn't want us wondering in regards to like what does our future hold? What is uh, having anxiety of where we're, whether we're headed for heaven? In fact, the truth is we can have resolution on that and have peace for now, courage for the future. God doesn't want us wondering. He doesn't want us steeped in anxiety. He doesn't want us living in fear. He wants us to know. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by us simply attending a great church or being baptized or by taking communion or going to Sunday school. It's by deciding in our heart to turn from our past 
and move forward with Christ Jesus as our saviors. That he died on the cross for us. He purchased our sins on the cross. That's how we can have peace and confidence. I don't know entirely why we have suffering and pain. I don't know why tragedy strikes. I don't know why the Lord doesn't eradicate it now. I just know that in comparison to the future, it's very, very small. And that we have peace with God until he comes. So would you stand with me today? I want us to pray together before we go. God, we don't know why you allow pain and suffering. We don't know why bad things happen to good people. We don't know why other than, Lord, it's just a result of our human nature and result of our own selfishness or others, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes just just what happens. But, Lord, we know that through you there is peace for now and courage for the future. Father, we know that in you, Lord, that ultimately there was one day where we will spend eternity in heaven and this will be a distant memory, God. Father, we know that in you, that you give us the peace to deal with it now and the courage to move forward. (coughs) And so I pray that you would fill every person in this room with your peace and give them courage, Lord, and that we would understand that right now our present sufferings, though very real, very legitimate, one day won't compare with what we is revealed to us in glory. <coughs> so Lord, give us strength. I pray for every man and woman who raise their hands. You see the, the varying levels, Lord. Whether it's family situations or health situations or financial situations or whether, Lord, it's tragedy from the past, you see every situation. And I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.